Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Many of us are quite familiar with the stress and anxiety around college admissions. Which college will be best for me? What are their programs like? What's affordable? How long will it take me to graduate? Today, our guest, David Hurwitt, will share how he has used AI to help students find their best college match. David Hurwitt, CEO and founder of Truve, believes the best way to meaningfully improve college graduation rates is by using technology to improve how students and colleges match with each other in admissions. He and his team are using predictive AI to do this, helping students discover their perfect college matches based on real experiences of recent alumni and current students. David has spent his career developing new products and services that have generated over a billion dollars in revenue across a range of different industries. David has three grown children and came up with the idea for Truve after going through the college admissions process with them. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, David. Thank you for having me, Charlotte. Let's start at the beginning of your journey. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Absolutely. You know, this is actually something that happened almost 40 years ago. So it gives you a sense for how acute this is still in my mind. I was in high school, it was junior year, and I was taking a class, it was a history class on the American presidency. And it was the fall. And that fall, there was a hurricane moving up the East Coast. And the way this class worked is every student was responsible for leading class on the day when we were going to talk about the assigned president that I had, who was Andrew Jackson. Anyway, my class was supposed to coincide with the arrival of Hurricane Gloria in 1985. And so, you know, I was certain I bet the farm that this hurricane was going to get there in time to cancel class. And so I skipped doing my homework. Now, the teacher of this class, and this is the point, the teacher of this class was the best teacher in the school and the scariest person I think I've ever met in terms of his intensity and his capability and my desire to please and impress this guy. In fact, I think he led the only successful mutiny in the history of the United States Navy. So really intense guy, right? And the hurricane was, was on track. And then all of a sudden, it just stalled out the day before or the night before, whatever it was. And I had to walk into class that morning and say, Professor Generous, I have to tell you, I didn't do the work. I was counting on Gloria getting here in time to save me. And you know, standing in front of him saying that bug-eyed as a 16-year-old, it made a huge impression because he looked at me for what seemed like an hour. And then he said, are you ever going to forget the lesson about being prepared and controlling the things that you can control? And I said, uh, no, sir, I am not. And he said, okay. I'm going to cover for you in class today, and you're going to have your paper on my desk at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. And I appreciated his generosity. I appreciated the fact that he sort of thought about this, and he was absolutely right, that I learned an enormous lesson. I don't remember much of anything about Andrew Jackson, but I do remember the way Tom Generous made me feel and the lesson about controlling the things that I can control and not relying on the things which are well beyond my control, like a hurricane. That is so fascinating to hear because one of my most pivotal teachers was my eighth grade teacher, Mr. Madkins, also a military man. Yep. And he's the only time I've ever ended up in detention was because I thought there was a homework assignment. I'm like, that's not a big deal. We're just going to, I think he was joking about this one and pretty much the entire class didn't do it. And we thought he was just going to let us slide. He sent our entire class to detention to the point where there were zero seats left in detention. <laughs> They made his point, didn't he? <laughs> he pretty much made his point. And again, it's like the lesson I never forgot. The fact that, like you said, that many years ago, and you still yeah. remember that precisely. 
Yeah. And, you know, Maya Angelou talks about, you know, we're not going to remember what people do or say, we're going to remember how they make us feel. And the feeling of that was so strong. It just still, it's like it was yesterday. <laughs> now, could you share from all the way back where you learned your lesson? I yep. know you went on and did other career things that didn't involve education. Could you share how then you became interested in education again in your career? Sure. So I worked in undergraduate and grad school admissions, you know, just like a lot of kids, I gave tours and I worked in the office, stuffing envelopes, everything else. Then when I was in business school, I actually was on the admissions committee and was very involved. The way our school worked is that there was a student read and a staff read of every file. And if you couldn't agree, it went to the director. If you could agree, that was the answer. So very involved. And then I chose to go on to other things outside once I graduated. But all of the jobs that I've had I've really been focused on developing new products and services. And so I tend to look at most purchases I make, most situations I'm in thinking, is this the right way to do this, right? Is there a better way? And sometimes you're just not encumbered by the way it's always been done. And so, you know, you mentioned in the intro that I have three children. They're not children anymore. They're 24, 26, and 28. But I went through the college enrollment process with all of them. And so starting with my oldest, I was so surprised when we came back to this process 20 years later when the internet had been invented in those intervening 20 years, to find that really nothing appreciably had changed. That the way she went about finding schools, the information she provided to schools, the information she received about schools was all essentially the same thing. It was just now delivered you know, via Google or submitted online. But that was fundamentally unchanged in terms of the content. And that got my brain working. I started thinking about the problem of getting into school and is there a better technical solution? Are there tools available to us today that would fundamentally transform that process? And you know, it's an interesting challenge, but ultimately what got me to say, I want to spend my time on this and not just think about it in the abstract is the fact that the problem is not getting into college. The problem is getting out of college. And statistically, it's about twice as hard to get out as it is to get in. And when I say get out, I mean graduate with a degree and you achieve the success that you went there to achieve. I come from the Northeast. I come from a kind of you know, prep school background, all that stuff. So I was trained to think that the problem is, how do you get into the Ivy League? How do you get into these super selective schools? And it turns out that those schools represent less than 5% of the total market. And so for most Americans, the experience is right in the heart of the bell curve, which has an acceptance rate of about 80%. And so kids are getting into most of the schools that they're thinking about, but the graduation rate at the national average, the four-year graduation rate is only 45%. And the six-year graduation rate is still only about 65%. So nearly a third of us who start this journey don't finish, but we carry debt with us. There are 45 million Americans who have debt, but no degree. And so that was the real impetus for me to say, I'm interested in the problem, but the problem is not what I thought it was. It's getting out, not getting in. And part of that, I believe, is finding the college that is the best fit for you, where it's going to really support you, right, so that you can graduate. And I know some families and students, they will invest the time and the expense to visit different colleges. Mm -hmm. Are there any benefits of taking these kinds of college tours? I went like on my own one, and I know you did too with your kids, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think there are huge benefits, and I find it to be sort of a binary thing that when you drive onto campus with a teenager, you tend to have one of two reactions. It's either that don't even bother getting out of the car, like not going to happen, right? Or it's, 
oh my God, I've got goosebumps. This is it. These are my people. I have found my people. And it's this really incredible intuitive ability that most people have to see themselves in a place and you know, sort of try it on and it either fits or it doesn't fit. But the reality is, Charlotte, that that is a fairly privileged experience. I haven't seen any data on exactly what percent of students are able to actually go on college tours. But the idea of a college tour is a fairly privileged idea. Parents are working. We might be working after school. We can't afford to take that shift off. We can't afford the airfare or even the car and the hotel and all those things. And so one of our objectives with Truve is to find a way to turn that really intense experience of coming to campus and feeling those things. Can we digitize that and make it available to everybody so that at least you can start with some approximation of what that's going to be like? And so you can get that kind of great read up front about your individual fit to a place. That's awesome. It's almost like a virtual personalized college tour that you'll be able to do from your own home. Right. right. And that's exciting to hear that technology can support this. But before we dive even more deeply into that, let's briefly discuss AI since you use that in Truve. For you, what is the definition of artificial intelligence or AI? Sure. Well, so let me first preface that and say, I am not a data scientist. I am a neophyte in all these things. But I would tell you to me, data science, AI rather, is patterns in chaos. It is the ability to ingest a huge amount of data, more than I think any human could ingest, and not be overwhelmed by that and not just see ones and zeros flying around, but actually find the patterns and the linkages that the human brain could not possibly have found. And so for us, it's the ability to ingest all this data and say, how can we solve this problem that right now is sort of subjectively left to teenagers to say, you know, where, where's the right place? And, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to also, are you trying to solve the right question, the right problem? And I don't want to get ahead of us, but I think that insight about what are we really trying to accomplish here? It's not getting kids in. Like we said, it's getting kids out. It's graduation success that should be the objective of the process. And so if that's the case, then if you look at any school's community, it's filled with graduates and a great group to model and start to apply some AI against. Great. And so let's delve a little bit more deeply into that. So how have you used AI to help students find the college that will help them with future career success? So that's not just saying, hey, let's find the colleges where you have the best chance of getting in. But right. let's find you the best colleges where you have the best chances of graduating and enjoying your college experience. Exactly. Yeah. And so we started with that very simple premise that the goal should be getting out, not getting in. And if that's the case, then what do we need to do in order to assess what the unique culture of each school is so that we can use AI to assess the fit of an individual to a place? And one of the things I did early on is I read a research paper about eHarmony, the dating app. And eHarmony is fascinating. You know, they're not the sexiest in vogue dating app anymore, but you know, they're 23 years old. They've had probably 100 million users. They've got a huge data set. And it's really the app that's about getting married. It's about finding long-term compatibility. And what they do, which was then pioneering, was that you took a personality assessment and they only ever showed you the profiles of people with whom that they assessed there was a long-term basis for compatibility. So you didn't get swayed by all these sort of really interesting, compelling looking uh, people you might want to go out on a first date with. It was all about, you're going to really enjoy this person. And they did a study of the divorce rate for people that met and married through eHarmony. And what they found was through that process change, 
the divorce rate was only 3.9%. So more than an order of magnitude improvement in outcome. And so I looked at that and I said, well, geez, if you change the way you do this, change the order and assess the fit up front and then present people with just the choices that are ideally suited to their long-term success, that you vastly improve the potential of the entire process. And so let's flip it upside down and start doing it that way instead. Great. So it sounds like students who are on Shrove, they're taking these assessments or quizzes and things. Funnily enough, I met my husband on OkCupid and they also had a bunch of quizzes and multiple choice questions. I thought they were so silly sometimes, but when my husband and I met, we were like a 98% match. And 10 years later, we're still going strong. But yeah, so it sounds like on Truve, they do the same thing. And it's colleges that they see like results wise, right? That's right. When I speak to students about Truve, they instantly go to this dating app thing. And what I say to them typically is, you know, you think this is about Tinder. You think this is a first date that you're looking for. And you're running around saying, which school is attractive to me for fairly superficial reasons. And you're submitting applications. And what's going to happen is once the school receives your application and decides to let you in, they're going to turn around and not accept you for a first date. They're going to ask you to marry them, right? Think about that undergraduate relationship. It should last you for a lifetime. And so you're going to go straight from, hey, will you go out with me? To, I sure will. In fact, will you marry me? And you have to be ready for that. And so what are the questions you're asking? What are you looking for in the data? And how can you assess compatibility? And so we started with the premise that compatibility between a student and the school exists kind of on two levels, academic and social. Now, most college applications centers around academic aptitude. The admissions officers will tell you that the things they pay the most attention to are the data points that are on your transcript or in your test scores. And that's the easiest thing for them to really gauge your ability to fit into their community because they know exactly what their GPAs are and their standards, and that all lines up. That's easy, but it's only part of the story. The way we each learn and how a school teaches also have to be aligned. So that's one of the things that Truve is trying to do is to add some depth to academic aptitude to make it more of a holistic kind of academic fit. So aptitude is important, but it's only part of the story. So can we create academic culture fit? And then if you think about a student taking 15 credit hours, and that really only consumes about a quarter of your available time while you're in college. Now, you might obviously spend hours doing homework as well, depending on how much you like homework, but you're probably going to get yourself up to maybe two-thirds of your time is actually free social time. So about between a quarter and a third of your college experience will be related to classroom time or preparation for classroom. And so there is nothing in the file today to suggest that two-thirds of your college experience is a fit or not a fit. And that's actually part of the assessment. And you get an advantage when you travel to campus and walk around and see it and feel it. That's where you're really gaining the most. And what you're missing the most if you can't do that. So what we were trying to do is say, can we actually use data to assess fit and then communicate fit back to a student and to the school so that you can understand your fit in the classroom and your fit out of the classroom in a way that facilitates understanding and communication. We have a lot of students who talk about the advantage of this true system of these two fit scores is that I can talk to my parents or my guidance counselor. They don't use this word, but with less friction, right? And they can say, look, mom, I appreciate that you think this will be a good school or you're pushing in this direction, but here's the data. 
Here's why I, or I would love to go to this school and look at my FIT score. Don't you want me to be happy? Right? You can back that up with data now, and that's useful to the conversation. Right. And we've learned just in our day-to-day work at Code Combat, where having data helps you have these concrete talking points so that when you have that conversation, it's more productive, it's less subjective, pieces like that. And I agree. I mean, my first internship into EdTech wasn't from a class that I took. And I went to Stanford. It was actually from the networks and the connections I made from the professors and my classmates there. So I agree that whole piece, you know, and it's cool that you are presenting these FIT scores for them. Now, whether students use Truve or not, what should students focus on when considering where to go to college with that academic and social fit in mind? Yeah, it's a great question. And to me, we need to finish the sentence. What is the best college for me? It's not what's the best college or what's the best university. I mean, Stanford's an incredible school. But if it doesn't really resonate with you as a learner and as a community member, then it's not the best school. And, you know, this idea that we're all looking at the U.S. news rankings and that we're comparing, we're ranking schools against each other. It's sort of academically interesting, but it's really not that useful. I wrote an op-ed about this recently saying, you know, what if U.S. news and world reports ranked pants and said, well, these are the best pants. So these are pants number 127. And this is pants number 26, so they're better pants. And who cares, right? Who cares about pants in relation to each other? You only care about whether they fit you. And so my advice to all students is make sure that you're trying on the pants, right? That you have to make sure that they fit you. And that's really all that matters. And if you can accumulate data, and if you could have experience with the culture and make sure that it, it connects with you. So the central point of truth is that we believe that you are fundamentally more likely to stay and succeed if you find your passion, your people, and your place. And so that means finding a connection to the culture of the school in and out of the classroom so that you really feel like you could be your best self and learn and grow as an individual and that that's going to be your best chance of succeeding. So put yourself in that place and don't pay attention to people's opinions rankings, the bumper sticker on the cars parked during your parking lot. I mean, none of these things really matter. It matters what fits you. Right. And also having that mindset when you're just looking at college candidates of where you're going to apply for, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it will save you so much money because I know students who have applied to 20 plus schools because they're not sure, A, if I'm going to get in, B, I don't know. And they're going to wait until they get in to do that research and homework. But it sounds like you could do that even before you choose, like, what's the pool of colleges I want to even apply to, right? Right, right. And, you know, true is not meant to replace a lot of the things that you're going to have to do in this process. It just means rather than starting from this sort of place of anonymity, where you don't really know much about the school, they don't know much about you, and, and really all they learn, and that's a limited amount, is once you submit an application right? It's when you ask to get married. And that's just too late in the process. And so we believe that data science and AI can help us push that connection further up front and better inform the conversation so that, you know, if you were in admissions at Stanford, you and I could have a really interesting, productive conversation about specific things that you would know about me and I would know about you, and we could connect or not connect and just really have a fruitful conversation. And then I can apply to Stanford and then you can assess me in a much more compelling, sort of meaningful way. And the technologies afford us the ability to do that today, but the inertia of the process prevents us. And so we're trying to sort of bridge that divide and say, 
let's just all step back and do this a little differently today. Right. And I can confirm because I also volunteered in the Stanford admissions office when I was there. And we can confirm that the college essays, like we really lean into that to really filter people out. And if you do your research like Truve or something like that, it helps you know what to write in your college essay because you sort of have more information about the kind of culture that they're looking for or the kind of student that they're looking for outside of just academic details, right? Yeah, I mean, so often students miss the point of saying, you know, it's not a difficult thing to say, I'd like to go to Stanford. It's a different level and you're not gonna get much attention because who wouldn't wanna go to Stanford? But if you could say, I wanna go to Stanford because of this, this, and this, which are a unique fit to me because of this, this, and this, that answer has so much more depth and so much more relevance. And the person you're speaking to can really see you fitting in and bringing all of that and adding to the community. And really, you know, I love Stanford. I wish I could have gotten into Stanford, but most of the world is not Stanford, right? I was actually just last week, I spent the week in San Francisco with the Council of Independent Colleges, which is about 700 or so colleges and universities across the country that are typically the small schools, fairly localized. You probably haven't heard of most of them. You know, enrollments might be 300, 500, 1200. And these guys are really struggling, but they do so much of the listing in this country in terms of education. And so once a year, they get the presidents of these schools together. And it's an incredible group to be around because they're so inspirational and they have so much in common with each other in terms of the problems they're facing. And most of them are struggling to find kids and they're struggling to define their own relevance and connection to those students. And they're the ones who are struggling with these graduation rates because there is a very clear correlation between the selectivity of a school, you know, how hard it is to get in and the persistence rate of those students. So if you get into Stanford, you're going to fight through fire and brimstone to, to get that degree, right? You're not dropping out. But if you're into a little school that you know doesn't have that compelling national brand, you're more likely to get knocked off course with some of the stuff that life throws at you between you know 18 and 25 when most kids are in school. And so they're looking for all they can do to connect to the people on a very human level and support them through that process. And this idea of really knowing your students in advance and finding your people. And, you know, I I sort of joke around talking about, well, in any given application pool, you might have lions, tigers, and bears. And if you're a mascot, if you guys are the bears, you want to be able to see the bears in your pool. And you want to allow the lions to go to the lion's den, right? And so being able to bring some data science and some AI to help resolve that problem takes a lot of pain and a lot of cost out of the process for both the students and the schools that serve them. Yeah, I was going to say, they must love talking to you because Truve becomes- They better. I know. I mean, it becomes a discoverability tool for them, right? Because I'm imagining like, how are they going to know that we exist in Idaho? Right. If they're just looking at US News, but this can float those options to the top for students who might be a good fit for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the benefit of being able to really quantify your culture, digitize your culture, so that you can assess people's fit to that culture is one thing. But the other benefit that True brings that's sort of inherent in the technical world we live in today is that we represent a network of schools. Right now today, there are over 4,000 colleges and universities, degree-granting post-secondary schools in the U.S. And every year, each one of them creates their own admissions pool, right? And so we're creating 4,000 pools that are all essentially filled with the same kids on mostly a geographic basis. There's nothing proprietary about that. They're all buying those lists from various different sources. 
And then they're just spamming them and they're solving the problem with volume. And the system is just so flawed in that sense. And so we are really working to say, rather than each of you creating your own pool and having no proprietary information about any of these students, and they're all the same kids in your same list, which is why those kids are getting hundreds of different pieces of junk mail in their inboxes and their physical mailboxes. What if instead you were part of a network of schools that was driving kids to an assessment that said, this is where you fit best. And let's push all the ones where you fit best back to schools where you're a fit and not let those schools know the connections, like not let them buy the names of kids who aren't a good fit. It goes back to my eHarmony example, because eHarmony was saying, here's your list, or here are the people with whom you have compatibility, and we're not going to participate in showing you the ones where we know you're just going to have a tumultuous breakup. And so we follow the same philosophy where we say, if you push the students to truth, regardless of where they came to truth, we will assess their fit against all 4,000 schools in the country and then push them to the ones where they have the best long-term potential. And so kind of both sides win in that. And for little schools, especially these little independent schools that have difficulty reaching much of the audience, by partnering with all those other schools, we're able to expose their digital code to essentially the entire senior class, which is 3.7 million students, and say, these are the ones that are the subset, which are uniquely qualified for success in your community. And so it's a networked approach that, again, is something that wasn't available when the system was set up in 1637, when Harvard started accepting applications. And I love this idea of you're basically providing a personalized funnel for both the student and the college. So a they can be way more efficient with their time and resources and hopefully find that marriage match, <laughs> that metaphor. And you know what else it does, importantly, is it helps actually to improve diversity in these communities. Because when you can find the commonality amongst people, these are the set of conditions that I care about as a learner or as in a community. And when you're sure that you all share those things, you can express those in every way imaginable, right? You can come from different places, you can have different backgrounds and interests, and all of that brings together and creates this really delicious soup, right? Because you're all complementary and you're all sharing those same values. And that makes for the potential, as long as you have that network capability to reach those people, it allows for these little communities to actually become more diverse and still more vibrant at the same time. I love that because it helps remove the details that don't matter, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, those are the distractions, the things that we think matter. And that's where it, the enrollment teams have gotten so focused on who will come that there are some great technologies and some wonderful AI-driven technologies, I'm sure, that help figure out where have the applications come from in the past, what high schools, what geographies, what geographic zip code subsets are most productive for us from an application standpoint, that we've lost sight of the fact that it's actually not about getting in, it's about getting out. And so we, I think, are one of the first to help pull back and say, hold on a second. Let's stop trying to force as many kids into the door as we can, and let's figure out what happens at graduation. Right. Now let's look into the future, right? We're here now and I'm really hoping, like I have a three-year-old, so in 15 years, I'm excited about using Trooper. We, we gotcha, we gotcha. <laughs> Thank you. But so that we're here now though. So how could AI impact the future of EdTech and academic success? Where do you think it's gonna go? Yeah, I'd say it's a great question, Charlotte. And you think about 
technology is really giving us this incredible ability to think more holistically about our education and to take classes at different times and in different ways. And you know, the metaverse and VR, and all, all these things are going to be incredibly important to your three-year-old's education for a lifetime. And you know, at this CIC President's Institute meeting this past week, a lot of conversations centered around what's our business model. And I'm a little cynical on this and maybe a little blunt. And I said, you know, honestly, guys, your business model is sell them something, sell them a four-year degree and then chase them for 60 years for nothing or money for nothing, right? And that model is so antiquated and so broken and so underserves your potential. Because imagine a world that's a little bit different. Imagine the world your three-year-old is growing into where if they can find their connection to a culture, to the people and the place and the area of study, we have the ability to turn an undergraduate institution into the center of your learning experience for your entire adult life. So if that person who we know statistically is going to be changing careers more and more in the future than we have in the past, if you are really connected to your school culturally, you just feel that bond, right? Then the possibility for Every time you think about, I need to change careers, I need to upskill, I need to learn about a new talent, I need to get an advanced degree. If your default is, I'm going to go back to my undergraduate school, then the ability for that school to create a lifetime of value and learning for you and revenue for themselves and you know, education for you is enormous. But if you don't have that connection, they're just going to go every which way every time a new opportunity to learn something comes to them. And so you have to find that connection in order for you to cement that lifetime learning relationship. And that is an enormous change that if they could do that, now they're out of the four-year, 60-year for nothing kind of business into, can I spend 80 years with my people? Right. I mean, basically you become their home base. All the way back in middle school, we're going to do full circle here. We had a homeroom, right? You had your home teacher that covered a couple subjects. So you knew if I had a question, I would circle back to that person. And Mr. Mackins, even in college, I went back to him sometimes. Well, I I hope you don't mind if I steal that because I love the idea of homeroom, right? We're trying to create homeroom for your lifetime education. Yeah. You're welcome to take it. (laughs) All right. Deal. All right. Now for those parents out there who don't have a three-year-old, they have like a 16-year-old or maybe someone who's working or are exploring this world of college admissions. What advice would you give them and where should they start in exploring this space? I would say don't focus on geography quite yet. Don't focus on cost quite yet. Okay. You really ought to think about what is important to me as a student and what is important to me as a community member. What kind of culture am I looking for? And I would tell you, 100% of you should go to truve.me and, and you know, it's a 10-minute quiz and it's focused on your academic and social preferences. And then we match you up with schools where people with the same preferences have found success. So too often what I hear from people is, well, I'm looking for a school in this region or I know I can't afford Stanford, so I'm not going to bother to apply. The average discount rate for schools in the US today is 54%. So if you look at the sticker price, the average person pays only you know, 46% of that amount. And that's an average. And so there's a lot of variability. And there's an increasing number of schools that are, regardless of need, if you get in, we're going to make that work for you. And so don't take that off the table. And don't say, well, I couldn't afford to travel to this place, or I've never thought about that state. 
What if you found a school that was just chock full of your people and it was your homeroom, right? If you had taken that off the board to begin with, you would have really sort of eliminated potential for exactly the right choice to present itself to you. So start with that wide open field. Don't narrow it until you've really started to articulate what it is you're looking for. Do some exploring. For those who can go to campus, go to campus. For those who can't go, most schools or a lot of schools now do virtual tours, which are not as good, but they're still a lot better than just trying to Google something or clicking through a website. Love it. So I think that would be a great place to start it. And then just ask, just keep asking, keep talking. Right. Focus on the details that matter yeah. and not on the ones that don't. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the rank of the school or whether you've got a friend who went there, those are interesting, but they are not necessarily relevant to your own individual successful outcome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on our podcast, David. I sure learned a lot and all the best with Truve. Thank you so much, Charlotte. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.